Homestyle Green episode 127. This is a show about helping people create a better life. Who doesn't love that? Hi and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. I'm the host of the show, Matthew Cutler-Welsh, and this is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. Now this week I'm speaking with Chris Hayes, and he's coming to us from the beautiful Charlottesville in Virginia. And uh, Chris has had um, quite an impressive uh, career to get to where he is, including working alongside uh, William McDonough, who is has been inspirational uh, in my life. Really, I've read his book Cradle to Cradle. I remember reading it as an engineering student and just being really inspired by the simplicity. He he was the first person to really introduce me to the concept of biomimicry and the concept of um, well, the the idea that waste is a is a foreign concept in nature, and just that that general idea of designing things not just to be less bad but to actually be beneficial for the environment so to meet someone who's actually worked alongside someone who who's been such a big influence to the whole industry is a privilege of doing this show so uh, before we get into that though just a quick shout out to Proclimber who continue to be great supporters of this show uh, definitely couldn't be doing this without them and I would suspect that you can't build a high-performing house without people like Proclimber. If you are wanting to build a really high-performing house, then you need to be looking at air tightness alongside good quality insulation. And they are certainly the people that can help you out with that. You also want to start with warm feet. And the best people to talk to you about that are MaxRaft here in New Zealand. They can uh, provide you with a complete solution for a fully insulated concrete foundation slab. So check out proclimate.com and also maxraft.co.nz. Now I started out by asking Chris Hayes why he got interested in architecture. Uh, well, first of all, thanks very much for having me on your program. I've, I've listened to, to a number of your, your, your uh, shows and I'm very impressed and love what you're trying to do. Thank you. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think from almost age 14 or so, I was interested in architecture. I, I always liked arts. I liked design. I loved to draw. And it just seemed like a, a natural thing to do. I, I was, you know, mildly good in, in math and science. And it, it seemed like a, a little more likely place to, to make enough money to get by rather than going strictly with the arts. Yep. Uh, so, so that that was kind of a, a starting point, and you know, I, uh, undergraduate, I, I studied at a school of design at North Carolina State. Um, kind of toyed with the idea of, of going more towards arts, but finally, just was much happier with the idea of, of architecture. And then, as you know, as as things progressed, it, it just confirmed how much I I enjoyed the profession. It, it was always seemed like an opportunity to be exposed to a lot of different things. It, architecture is kind of a, a, a process of discovery. Each project you work on is, is different. The clients are different. You learn about different places. 
And uh, it, it just was such a, a pleasure, particularly, you know, when you're working on, on satisfying projects that um, I never really look back. And, and then uh, about 2004, I had an opportunity to start my own practice. I'd been working with Bill McDonough as a partner with him for several years. Um, but uh, I really liked the idea of having my own practice and, and working all the way through the projects. We, when I was working with Bill, we were working on projects in uh, Barcelona, the Netherlands, California, all, all over the place. Really interesting projects. But uh, we were always working with an associate project, an associate architect to, uh, to do the, the, the construction documents. And I like the idea of just having my own practice and working all the way through the project. Yeah, because by that time, um, Bill would have been fairly well established and, and fairly well known, wouldn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I joined him in 19, I think it was 1993 or 94, and Gosh. he was just kind of coming into his own. Um, he, he definitely was, was kind of on the, the world map as far as sustainable architecture went. Uh, he raised a lot of issues. Uh, so he was getting to the point where he was starting to do larger scale projects. And I had been working with Renzo Piano and Cesar Pelli before that. So he was interested in my background working on those kinds of projects. And we, we, we definitely had a lot in common. We both went to Yale for uh, grad school and, and just right. got along pretty well. So it was a, it was a fun collaboration. So you'd, you'd done some work in the sustainability realm before that. What was it that took your architecture in that direction? Well, I, I guess, you know, honestly, we worked at, at Renzo, Renzo Piano's office, and he was kind of leaning in that direction just by the nature of the type of work he does, not so much because he, you know, had uh, as the same sort of belief system that Bill McDonough did. But um, the, you look at projects like the Kansai Airport in Japan, and it's just so completely integrated, working with natural light, natural ventilation, the roof shapes, everything was just so totally uh, integrated. But then when, when we came back to the States, I, we found out about Bill uh, McDonough and started working with him. And, you know, we were working with him for about 11 years or so. Um, and once we were exposed to, to Bill's ideas, then, you know, it's, it's hard not to be interested in ecological design. It's, Absolutely. I mean, I um, attribute a lot of my chosen path in engineering from reading Cradle to Cradle, which uh, yeah. um, was when I read it, that the concept of, no waste it just seemed like a right. no-brainer it was kind of one of those right. books that once you read it it seemed obvious right um, right but yeah, it, no, it, it takes a book to point out the obvious sometimes <laughs> yeah i think bill and, and michael brongart who co-authored the the book cradle to cradle that's right really developed a lot of a lot of you know, great principles and and these were things that we worked with you know day in day out on uh, numerous projects that, that we were working on, you know, when I was with them, and, and obviously they continued to do so. But uh, yeah, some of the, the the very you know basic principles, you know, like the the idea that there is no waste, there is no, you can't throw away anymore because there is no way, um, yeah. just seem like 
you know, very, very obvious things to... Yeah. But when we get to the detail level, I can imagine that can be quite a hard thing to actually achieve. Like, it, it's one of those things that is is obvious when it's done well and when you see a really nice, neat example of that. But can you can you follow those sorts of philosophies and that integration with nature in any building that you design? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess in, in anything, you know, it's hard to get 100% all you know complete for you know all the goals that you you set out for yourself but i think what what made a lot of sense it makes a lot of sense with with bill's philosophy and we we do the same thing here is you you set high goals for yourself and you push as far as you can and you can't beat yourself up if you you know if you get to uh, 96% as opposed to 100% or you know you get as far along with those principles and goals and and then you try and do a little bit better each time and you you learn from each project yeah technology gets better with each project so there's there's continues to be opportunities and of course a lot depends on on how much the clients are are interested in those same philosophies yeah and how often does that happen uh well pretty often i mean it, it when you know when we were working with Bill, most of the time people were coming to us primarily because of, of you know, particularly in the earlier days um, in his philosophy. Then we would we worked on a number of competitions. Like we we joined Bill right when he was invited to do a competition for the Gap corporate campus in California. Um, we we actually were competing against a couple of much much larger firms, but. Uh, we won the competition, and a lot was because we were able to marry the design ideas with the the principles that Bill had espoused, and I think it, that that carried the day. And now for our current practice, you know, people were coming to us both for our philosophy and the work that they've seen, and most of the time, people are interested because they love the idea of of ecological design as well as they you know we we tend towards a more modern design married with ecological thinking you mentioned <clears throat> you mentioned competitions there and entering design competitions what other ways are there that people designers and architects can get known for doing uh, sustainable ecological type design because i speak to a few people who are who would love to do that type of work and it's i guess it's great once you've got a name but how do you get a name for yourself as someone who does that and therefore will attract those sorts of clients uh that's a great question because it's 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 not easy i mean even for us you know when we started our practice allison you and my wife and partner joined me in 2005 yeah even though we had the benefit of, of working with Bill for a number of years and, and both, you know, we, we both worked at Piano's office and Cesar Pelli's office. Uh, we, so we had a, a lot of great background, but we still had to kind of start over and make ourselves known in the area. And uh, part of it was actually, I mean, you, you mentioned where we talked about design competitions. We, we, did uh, some design competitions and and won uh, won the ones that that we entered. Uh, we also 
uh, started fairly early on getting residential projects. And um, of course, it, you know, it takes a while before you get anything built. So it's, it's hard to, to show the, the work until the, the project is really complete. Mm. But, um, you know, just, you, you, you know, you kind of have to start small and large at the same time. You know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to get into a competition and, and win it, uh, you can get, you know, some small projects going that evidence your work. And then you, you know, try and, and, and publish the, those projects. And, you know, the more people understand whether it's locally, regionally or, you know, nationally, then, you, you know, it's just a slow process of building a reputation. And now that you do have a bunch of houses and projects built, you've got a fantastic gallery. You've got a beautiful website, um, which I no, encourage people to go and have a look at. It's very easy to navigate around and some, some stunning images there of the buildings and the spaces. And one thing that strikes me about all of these buildings, particularly some of the residential ones, is that it's as much about where the house is. Right. There, um, than the house itself. Um, you know, a lot of these images that capture my eye, the house is probably less than 50% of the image. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's our, our philosophy in a nutshell. Right. I mean, it's, it's how, how do you integrate the building into the place? You know, yeah. that's so, so important. I mean, it, and we, you know, where we live in Charlottesville, Virginia, it's a... a a fairly mild climate, maybe maybe not as mild as as, as New Zealand as you described, but um, but it is very mild, and you you get to spend a lot of your time outdoors. Uh, there's there's one house called the Dogtrot House where we have a a large covered outdoor area, and this is something the clients wanted from early on was to to be able to spend a lot of time outdoors, and and basically they eat. Out, all their meals outdoors from early, fairly early spring all the way through fall and only eat indoors, you know, when it's just too, too nasty outside to, to enjoy the outdoors. Nice. But, it, it, you know, that's the, the dog trot idea is kind of an appealing idea that's kind of a traditional uh, American house type before air conditioning where they've kind of pulled two parts of it, a fairly small house apart with a big breezeway in between and, and, you know, hence the name, the dog trot, the dog could run back and forth, but it right. pulled, bree- pulled breezes through the house. And then if you open the doors into that, that uh, dog trot space, then that also pulls air um, through the space. So it's, it's, you know, just being really joined with the, the natural systems, whether it's airflow daylight and and trying to find a way to to really uh integrate those things at a at a high level and and we try and develop the the forms echo you know those principles so that that you know you you have uh, opportunities to have uh, air delivery and kind of lower windows and and then air exhaust and and higher windows and just uh, really have you know various ways where the ventilation and the daylight and the space all kind of reinforce one another 
That's a, looking at that image. It's a really nice example of some of those McDonough principles in that it looks very simple. Um, right. It, it looks like a big right. roof with the walls missing. But when you start to describe, now that I notice the low opening windows on on either end and the fact that there's there's cross ventilation and there's a lot of it's almost like they're they're hidden in front of your eyes the the details right. and i can see that there's a lot of technical thought gone into making that look quite simple is that yeah. is that sort of part of the the skill of good architecture do you think yeah yeah i think that's that's very well put um you know you, you don't want to hit people over the head with things that it, it, you primarily, you know, when you're inside the space, you want to be able to, you know, most of the time either enjoy the space for what it is or the views to the outdoors. And this dog trot house is uh, set, set in the midst of a, of a woods and they really want to feel like they're part of the woods with a little bit of clearing around the house. And so it's not about trying to call attention to the, technical systems inside the house, you would kind of want them to, to disappear to some degree. Mm. Uh, but you want them to enjoy the views and the fresh air. And it, you know, we're always also, you know, more from a painterly perspective, looking for you know, the foreground, middle ground, background. Right. So there's, there's various layers that you're looking at. So it's not just one, one layer that stops your eye. It's the, the multiple layers that make it a kind of a richer visual experience. Nice. Um, now, there's a few things I, I wanted to ask you. Firstly, tips are kind of along that theme, uh, and you mentioned some design tips there. What do you typically see done wrong with kind of mainstream houses, and, and what tips would you have for someone who's embarking on a, on a new home and okay. um, how, how to get it right in terms of performance and comfort and what the house needs to achieve. Are there sort of top three ideas that you've got to incorporate? Sure, yeah. I mean, I guess to, to start with, there is the obvious problem, particularly where we live, that there's large-scale builders that are building you know, large communities where all the houses are, are very similar and there's probably not a huge difference between what they're building here in in Virginia versus what they're building in Ohio or California. There's probably just different standards that they're responding to. But as far as a sense of of designing for that place, it, it just doesn't exist. And you yep. and you see it as you you drive along the highways from here to D.C. or uh, pretty much you know you can drive around the country and and see the, the mass house building uh, being stamped out with very, very little thought. I mean, they're, they're obviously clearing, uh, you know, clearing all the natural elements, including the, the vegetation, trees, and so forth. And, and then you're, you're left with a, a bare dirt site with, you know, tabula rasa, where they just build kind of the usual thing. So... Our, our response is kind of the opposite of that. In fact, we, we even did a little community very near where we live 
uh, with some friends of ours to create our own little sustainable village, which was a fun adventure. But getting getting to your question about what, what things would we recommend, I guess the, the 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 first thing is you know to find the 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 place that really resonates with you, the the neighborhood, the community. You, you know. Obviously, you got to figure out if you want to be more in the city or in a rural situation, and what the trade-offs are. You know, we have a lot of clients that um, come to us with rural sites because those are kind of more economical sites to to buy. Um, but um, it, it's it's really finding a place that you you're excited about, you know, most of all, and that passion will will kind of help help you. Uh, carry forth through, through the whole uh, design and build of your house. And then I think the other thing is, is to figure out what the things are that, that you're most excited about, how, how you'd like to live. Some people come to us and they want to be in a very sheltered place with more of an inward focus. Others are excited about that overlap of the indoors and outdoors. Uh, and then some really just want to spend all their time outdoors. We had some friends that we, we didn't do their house, but they built a, a tiny house. It was about, what, uh, 500 square feet or so. But it was in the midst of uh, a, a multi-acre setting. And they just, they had two, you know, two adults, two kids, and they just spent most of their time outdoors. So you want to have a sense of, of, you know, what it is that you're, how you would like to live. And then I think the, the, the third thing is, is figure out, you know, where your, where your passion is, where, what you are, are most excited about. And sometimes that's a process of discovery. Um, you know, most recently we had a client that, uh, had, uh, has a, a property of 90 something acres and, a. Uh, a, a rural community outside of town, basically on a, on a kind of mountaintop. And they, they just, as we got into it, once we uh, explored it, they just really loved the idea of having uh, a third floor kind of uh, observatory where you could get outdoors and look around and see their property all around them. And that, that was the thing that it, it was one of the smaller elements, but everything was kind of leading up to that uh, third, third floor outlook. And then I guess a, a fourth kind of obvious thing is to, to hire a designer or architect that is kind of focused on, on these things. And likewise to, to find a builder who cares about them. They don't necessarily have to have a ton of experience doing this if you have a designer or architect that does, but if, if, if they're open to the ideas, you can, you can tell when we interview builders, you can usually tell whether they're genuinely excited about the ideas or they feel like it's, you know, just another burden that they'll have to carry. So, it's going to be a problem. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a fascinating list. Um, cause, cause there's nothing technical in there. Right. right. <laughs> There's no, Sorry. You should have uh, insulated walls and good concrete <laughs> slab. Um, it's all about the people. You, uh, you've said, yeah, the first thing is to find the community that you resonate with, the people, because you can't retrofit that. And we've had people, right. other people say the same thing. You know, you've got to figure out 
where you want to actually be in the world first, right. Right. Um, in a literal sense, because you can't. It's not like you can upgrade that or or change it five years down the track, um, because that's that's fixed, really. I mean, you can influence it to right. a to an extent. And then the other things about what do you what do you want to spend your time doing? What how do you want to have as a lifestyle? It suddenly becomes so much more than just bricks and mortar and and um, sticks of wood and putting those bits exactly. together. But it it really comes back to the people that this your clients, but also how they want to interact with the rest of the community and the environment around them. Exactly. Right. And, and ultimately, you know, so much of our goal, what, you know, you asked what, it, what interest us in architecture, you know, and part of it is just a big part of it is helping people live a, a better life and helping create a better environment. And, and also obviously contributing, contributing to kind of the larger environment in a positive way, not only what we're building, but where, where those materials come from and the energy, where's the energy coming from, all those things kind of wrapped together. How do you feel when you drive past one of those new suburbs where they've just cleared the land and then they're putting probably hundreds of very similar houses? Do you feel overwhelmed by the fact that you can have this great experience and create this amazing space for maybe one person, one client at a time, but does that mean anything right. against the backdrop of mass production? Are you having any impact on the world? Right, right. No, I, I think that's that's a really good question, and and it's something that that Alison and I talk about a fair amount. Um, and clearly, you have to get to a significantly larger scale to, to have a, a, a real impact. Um, I do think that you can you can set an example, and that's part of the reason that our friends and Allison and I decided to do a little ten house uh, community, basically across the street from where we live, uh, to set an example, and then hopefully people see that there's a way to do things that you know isn't extraordinarily expensive, and it's it's a different way of doing things, and that other people will kind of jump on the bandwagon. Yeah. And, it, and, and, in, and, the, and in, in fact, what happened was one of the people that we did that community with found another property not very far away that uh, they, they were able to do another kind of sustainable community of, you know, ours was uh, 10 lots and he did one that's, I think it was about 22 lots. And and you could see things in our neighborhood. We we live in right on the edge of, of Charlottesville. It's only like a mile and a half from town, but you can see various houses kind of popping up in the area that have kind of a similar kind of thinking. So, in a in a in a small scale way, we can see that that we've we've had an impact on on our community and we hear about it from other people and say oh you guys really set an example when you did this house and when you did this development across the street yeah so it's all about leading by example and hopefully people will start to aspire to what you're creating and and eventually bring the i guess it's the it's the tip of the iceberg it's the sort of the beginning of the curve and you and you're dragging that curve along hopefully (laughs) 
<laughs> right, right. Yeah, that's uh, that is exactly right. And I, you know, I, and it takes people like uh, you know, getting back to to Bill McDonough again, who's a, you know very inspiring figure, and clearly, you know, he's having an impact. A lot of people are listening to the things he's saying and are excited about the philosophy and that. As you say, you know that impacts people along the way. So yeah, and it's taken time as well, I guess. To, it to does get take time. And yeah. I, and I guess similar to to Bill, you you've also you haven't just sat in an office and designed houses. You've published articles. You've gone back and taught at, at universities. You're sort of out there sharing ideas in other ways as well as right. just producing houses. And I, I imagine that helps not just raise your profile but also spread the message. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it is exciting to be, you know, teaching, you know, uh, occasionally over at the University of Virginia and talking about sustainable design. And, you know, it, obviously in schools now, it's becoming a much, much more popular subject. And you can see, you know, students light up when they start hearing about things where they really feel like they can make a difference in a in a positive way. Right. And, uh, it, it, it definitely, you, you feel like there is a common knock-on effect there. Before we finish up, I've got to ask you one technical question. Okay. Is it possible to overglaze? Um, and how do you mm. how do you balance that connection mm-hmm. with the outdoors, right? And the thermal um, unperformance, I guess, of, of glass. <laughs> right. You know, right. Glass glass has definite thermal constraints to it. You, you've mentioned right. you're in a relatively mild climate, but is that a tricky balance? Yeah, yeah, no, I think so. I mean, it's it's not it's not impossible by any means. It's it's really just looking at you know, you know obviously the you know working with some of the very basic passive solar strategies. You know how the house is oriented, where your major glazing is located, and then. How you take advantage of that? Now, it, it can't always be perfect, so that you can orient the the house lengthwise along the east-west axis with you know the larger openings to the south side. Uh, there's one house on our our website, the the Stony Point house, where it's actually a, a west-facing, uh, primarily west-facing slope. Uh, we looked and tried to kind of move the house in other locations and just couldn't find a good spot for it. Um, but in that case, you, we still have a, a lot of glass looking out towards the west, but we have a really large overhang, mm. uh, both to the to the west and then kind of wrapping ar- around the house. And then we've developed some kind of deeper elements in the in the facade that that provide some shading as well. And there is a, a fair amount of tr- uh, trees that are also kind of in a, in a wooded lot that are helping shield the really low uh, westerly sun. So, you, you know, you're both working from the outside and the, and with the, obviously with the glass itself, uh, triple glazed windows is becoming, you know, fairly commonplace in Europe and is starting to catch on in the United States. Uh, it's still, you know, there's still a, a cost factor there, but uh, the triple glazing uh, can be very, very effective as far as uh, ha- having very uh, solid R values and uh, and U values, so that you don't get you know tremendous heat gain or or a huge amount of heat loss. So it's right. it's really working back 
back and forth on the outside, the inside. And a lot of what we're doing, you know, with, with these houses is to, as you say, to find that balance and, and take advantage of the heat gain in the, in the winter through the, you know, spring and early and late fall, but then uh, have the, enough shading so that you're not getting that kind of heat gain uh, the rest of the year. On, on our house, actually, the, the other house that on our website is the Woolen Mills house, and we did uh, some outdoor louvers uh, built into the in, into a kind of a wood facade, and uh, we integrated the wood louvers with a wood trellis for the the floor below to uh, keep the heat gain from being uh, you know, uh, significant. Yeah, um, yeah. And in the in the the summer seasons. In fact, we we actually moved in before the the trellis and louvers were built, and we had you know just huge issues with the amount of heat gain. But as soon as we got the louvers and and the trellis built, then it, everything balanced out really well, and we have the operable windows in the right locations, and uh, all of a sudden, you know, it was, a, it was a whole different ball game. That's very interesting because they're. They're, they're very unobtrusive from certain angles, those louvers, aren't they? they, they yeah. when, you, when you're yeah, on the no, deck, exactly. you can kind of see right through them, but then at an angle, they're almost uh, a complete shade. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you combine that with the roof overhang and so forth, they, they work pretty well together. So coming back to glazing, it it sounds like for you it's not just about the glass. It's about the integration or the um, how all those various factors – relate to each other, like the, the orientation in the first place, getting that right, but then the overhang, right. the thermal mass, and, and just making sure all those things are working together rather than just relying on one particular aspect. Right, right. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's tricky to be you know, too set at trying to solve it you know, strictly from a technical basis. It's, it's working with all those elements. And, and ultimately, you know, the, the opportunity to see out or see in that, the connection between the indoors and the outdoors is so kind of fundamental to the way we think. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, and you can feel it in the houses when, you know, we take people around to show them the, the houses we've done in the area that, you know, they just, they respond immediately to that, that amount of light coming in, that connection to the outdoors. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so fundamental, I think in our nature, that um, you, you can't underestimate it. Yeah. Chris, it's been great uh, chatting. Where We have to wrap up. So where can people find out more about you and what you do and, um, and maybe if, they, if they're in your area, um, how can they work with you and your team? Yeah. No, um, the, the, our, our website is uh, headshedsarchitects.com. And I can be reached at c hayes at headshedsarchitects.com. And, you've, and got a, uh, you've got a blog up on that side as well. And, and you're on uh, House? Yeah, we are on House. That's right. Thanks for, for reminding me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really terrible at marketing, as you can tell. Well, it's uh, it's not uncommon for <laughs> for, for good architects. They <laughs> right. spending their time doing more important things like uh, designing good houses. 
Well, so it's been a pleasure to talk to you, Matthew. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you very much, Chris. Keep up the good work. All right. Well, and you too. And that was Chris Hayes from Hayes Ewing Design Studio coming to us from Charlottesville in the beautiful Virginia. If his website and the images there are anything to go by, I must get over there because it looks like an absolutely stunning place. If uh, you want to find out more, then head on over to homestylegreen.com forward slash 127. That's for episode 127. And all the links that Chris mentioned, all his social media networks and his house account, and, of course, his website. Definitely head on over and check out some of the images, particularly that dog trot house. I love that design. It's just uh, it's quite spectacular. Um, thanks again to ProClimber and also this month to Max Raft for helping to bring the show to you. Definitely check them out if you want a high-performing home, well-insulated one from the ground up and an airtight one as well. That's ProClimber.com or MaxRaft.com, MaxRaft.co.nz, I should say. And if you want help with your design or even if you... Uh, here in New Zealand, particularly in Auckland, and uh, tossing up some options at the moment. A lot of people with some issues around um, wet windows. I know I've got that issue at my house, and I'm looking for solutions and going to be trying out a few different things. But if you have a question about whether or not you need ventilation or whether you're upgrading your windows or you want some advice on insulation, heating, whatever it is, Get in touch. I'd love to see if I can help give you some independent advice. It's hard to know who to trust out there, and I'd hate for you to spend money unwisely or unnecessarily. So you can contact me, Matthew at homestylegreen.com, or head on over to the contact page on homestylegreen.com, and there are lots of ways you can contact me there. Thanks very much for tuning in. Go make a better place to live.